The soft skill that I think is most important for accountants today is actually coming out of their introverted self and having a bit more confidence and conversation and communication skills than we've had to have in the past. Now, I won't bucket everybody to being a traditional introverted accountant, but at the same time, we all know that this industry attracts introverts. And that means that we have historically been able to kind of sit behind our desk and get deep into our work and not have the communication skills that we might have if we were in another profession. The technology can only do so much and that where we will never be replaced is in human component to our work and the interaction and relationship we can have with clients, with stakeholders inside of our organization, with fellow team members, that's irreplaceable. Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. Today, we have Twyla Verhelst. Uh, she is a CPA, entrepreneurial accountant, and also the head of accountant channel of FreshBooks. So I found Twyla actually on Clubhouse, which I'm sure a lot of you guys are still exploring and finding a lot of knowledge and new people on there. And she hosts also the accounting and finance channel um, for women. And Twyla, I'm super happy that you can join me on this podcast. And I know we've connected a few times. So I'm happy that you're able to speak to our audience this time. Thanks, Danny. I'm excited to be here. And I love how a connection over Clubhouse just evolves into a relationship in other elements of our lives. So thanks for having me join you. Of course. Glad to have you here. So I know you wear so many different hats um, within your different roles, uh, besides also being a mom, which kudos to you. I don't know how you manage that. Can you give a quick intro about yourself to the audience that I haven't already covered? Sure. I, uh, I'll keep this brief because as you said, I do wear a lot of hats and this could consume our entire time together if we dove into each one of the different roles <laughs> that I currently have uh, in my professional and personal life. But as you mentioned, I'm a CPA. I'm actually a former firm owner. So I used to have a accounting and advisory firm with a business partner of mine. I'm a co-founder of a fintech startup. I'm head of the accountant channel at FreshBooks, which is a new venture for FreshBooks, carving out their new accounting professionals program for accountants and bookkeepers who are looking to collaborate using FreshBooks. I'm in the process of launching a women in accounting mentorship program and platform where uh, myself, I'll be providing some mentorship, but also doing some mentor mentee matching as well as some content and um, ask me anything and videos and whatnot inside of this platform. And then, as you mentioned, I'm a, a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a runner, I enjoy yoga, and I am a mountain enthusiast. I live in Calgary, Alberta, so I'm less than an hour's drive from the Rocky Mountains, and the mountains are definitely my grounding place that we venture to very frequently to just go and be outside and enjoy the beauty of nature and uh, really just kind of reconnect with ourselves. I love that, and I think you have such a balanced um, approach towards life too, you know, with your different ventures with your family life, you, you know, with your friends, and now you also have your own space. I feel like that is so important. And more and more people are starting to realize, especially after the pandemic, to be able to create that space for yourself, as you said. Yeah, it's so key. I mean, this this pandemic is just hard. And, you know, here we are 12 or 13 months into it. And if you haven't taken time to just sit back and think, like, what is it that 
I need to just get some space or get some breathing room or just decompress, I encourage you to take that time to carve carve out and, and figure out what that is for you. And uh, when things like travel, getting on planes and, and doing some of the other ventures that we enjoy doing as a family, and I, I was often doing with my work, which was traveling to other locations, and I enjoy that. When that was taken away, then it was quickly a case of, all right, where what can I do that is still open and, and allowable and uh, is close to home that I can get reconnected and recenter because it's a lot. This pandemic is a lot and it's still ongoing. So uh, reconnecting and, and finding that time and that space is really important. I completely agree. I mean, we have different mountains here. They're a little bit snowier. So I've been snowboarding for the first time, which is really fun. I would love to have you here once everything opens up too. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to come out and visit. That would be great. Yeah. So I know you use the words um entrepreneurial accountant and also progressive accountant. So what does that mean to you and how does that look like? For me, a progressive accountant is is really something that we can self-define. I mean, just similar to the word advisory in our accounting space, there's no formal definition to advisory and there's no formal definition to a progressive accountant, which I love that about the term progressive accountant. It means that we can make it make it our own. Mm-hmm. To me, a progressive accountant is somebody who is creative in their thinking and somebody who is open to something different or doing something unique. And doesn't have to be like a complete pivot and doing something entirely different inside of your career or your professional focus. But I just mean it's something that's not the traditional way that things have been done. And embracing technology is a big piece of this, but it's not just about embracing the tech and and, and then just kind of flipping that over to your clients or flipping that over to your staff or your workflow. It's about embracing that technology to create a better human experience and to wrap in something that's a bit creative and a bit unique to your offering and what you do for others inside of that. So I think there's such an evolution in our industry and technology has advanced. And as people, we need to advance as well in what we are doing inside of our profession. And technology plays into that. Our human component plays into that. Our offering is part of that. And all of that coupled together becomes a progressive accountant and and doing something a bit different. I love that. I think um, basically what you're trying to say also is the learning mentality, right? Like the forever being a sponge, being open, being open to new technologies and new ways of thinking. Because I feel like um, in the past, we've seen accountants or even finance leaders being put in this role where they're kind of the person that, you know, counts the books or looks at the numbers and, you know, people don't see them as someone beyond that. But now I feel like they're now true business partners to the organizations because when you're you know, in front of the numbers, when you're in front of the strategy of what's going to happen with your business, really that's like, you know, in the next generation of the accountants, as you mentioned, that's progressiveness. Mm-hmm. It, it just looks and feels different than, you know, the the accountants that we saw, gosh, even when I started my career, which uh, was nearly 20 years ago. And so, you know, it, it's just this change. And we used to say the words creative accounting meant that you were doing something that uh, the government wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't want to see or an auditor wouldn't want to see versus now when I think of creative accounting, I think of it more as how do you wrap in technology? How do you wrap in skill sets? How do you wrap in services? How do you wrap all of these things in together and create a different offering inside of the accounting industry, whether you're in industry or inside of a firm and you're working with small business clients? Can you give me a few examples of you know, progressive accountants that you've seen and also other firms that are doing some things differently? Yeah, I think I think anytime that you see something that's just a little bit unique, I love being connected with people uh, in our industry from all over the globe and learning about what they're up to and, and going, hmm, I never thought about it that way or, hmm, that's really different. And at first it kind of catches you off guard. And then when you actually dig into it, you're like, wow, good for you for figuring out what it is that 
you're going to be best doing. And so there's a lot of, of creative models inside of our industry. I mean, if I think about some firm owners, I mean, there's breakaway bookkeeping and advising in the US and they have created a really different model uh, where they're offering accountants and bookkeepers to work with them without having to do the back end uh, back office work. They can just serve their clients. There's others who have embraced different models. I mean, I'm working with an accounting partner right now inside of the FreshBooks program where she's creating a completely different model for the very smallest micro business to be able to access her expertise as a CPA without it blowing up their complete budget for the year. And so there's a lot of different examples and, and technology has enabled these things. And that's, what's really interesting and exciting is that technology is not stopping anytime soon. Uh, it is going to continue to evolve and there's just ways that we can use it instead of feel threatened by it to change up our service model and what we can do for clients and what we can do for other people in our industry. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And also as a solutions provider, we see a lot of, you know, still pushback. Sometimes when the accounting leader or the finance leader tries to implement these changes, you might be, you know, forward thinking, but sometimes the team is not as fast moving as them. So what do you think accounting leaders can deal with when it comes to change management? How do they, you know, adopt cloud technologies and make sure that their team is empowered and excited by that? Change management is is big, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. When we when we embraced cloud technology inside of our accounting firm, it was early in our journey. So it was it was in the first year of us having our firm that we discovered some of this cloud technology that was really going to serve us and our clients really really well. And we did a rip off the band aid approach, where myself and my business partner we checked out the the products and the platforms figured out the workflows. And over the course of a weekend, our staff came back on Monday and we had uprooted everything that they knew and were saying, okay, we're going to teach you how to use this new platform. That's not necessarily the best way to do it. Um, it worked in terms of us having a small firm and, and we got away with it, I'll say, but it's really not super strategic and can create some negative implications inside of of your firm or your team. And I do think that a big part of that, that better way to embrace change management is to get some of your team members who are cheerleaders. So, you know, go out and do some, some initial consultation or some surveying of your team to figure out where is their head at in terms of the spectrum of change, technology, cloud accounting, all of these things, get, get those kind of cheerleaders inside of your group and really use those as other people on your team that can help support the change because you'll, you can't do it alone. No matter how small your team is, you really can't do it alone. You'll always be pushing a huge boulder up a really steep hill and it'll be really uncomfortable and, and potentially not successful in that change. And so figuring out who are the the key people in your team that you've already, you are, they're already excited about it and you just have to get them really kind of being part of that process. Then there's the other ones, the the stragglers or, or the people who are a little more resistant. And then this comes down to psychology. Uh, when I go back to, you know, who I am as a person, I actually, before I became an accountant, I, I minored in, in university in psychology. And so uh, I use that frequently in terms of what's motivating the other people. What can you say to them or give to them that would impact their decision and their willingness to change? And so it's kind of deriving from each person, what is it that makes them tick? What is it that they care about? And anytime that we present something to somebody, human nature is, how is this going to impact me? <laughs> what does this mean for me? And so figuring out what they're thinking in terms of what does this mean for them? Sometimes they could feel threatened. You know, maybe it was part of your team and they think, well, if we embrace all this automation, I'm the, the person who does the data entry and I'm going to lose my job. Or it, There's so many different th ways of thinking around what this change means for somebody. So it's going to these individuals who are a little more resistant and trying to learn more about them to see if there's something that you can do 
really personalized and strategic for them to help them through this transition. Because it'll be something emotional or something fearful that's preventing them from getting involved with the change and really embracing it and getting excited about it. I love that you have your psychology background to help you with this. I feel like um, you're so right. A lot of it is just hidden fear, right? A fear of change, fear of maybe something deeper inside them. Maybe it is the fear of, you know, their jobs being replaced. So those are some amazing tips, um, especially I think the one about making sure you're surveying the team too to get their temperature check. You know, where is it that people are getting stuck? Those are really some actionable advice. Whenever we're embracing change, I think there's no such thing as over-communication. And so that's the biggest thing always to remember, especially in this remote environment, when you think, gosh, the last thing the team needs is another Zoom call, another Slack message, another email, another, you know, online virtual event, whatever that is for your team. And, and when that, when you're going through a season of change, I think it's something for as a, as a leader to keep in mind that there isn't such a thing as over communication because we can't wrap our arms around these people in the same way that we would have inside of a, an office when we're all together. And so you're having to do that in a virtual remote space and it's challenging, which means communicate often, check in often, make sure you've always got that temperature gauge and and that's on an in- individual level. And it doesn't mean that you have to do it alone because you've got a big team. It's like, gosh, I, are you serious? I have no time to do all of that. But even delegating some of these cheerleaders or these people that you know are on board with this change and getting them to help keep the temperature gauges and keep people motivated and interested in and inspired by the change that's happening inside your organization. I love that. Those are some really good tips. So since we're on the topic of, you know, technology and cloud for accounting, um, where do you think accounting leaders waste the majority of their time on and how can they move forward from this and think about automating some of these processes? Yeah, you know what I think inside of each team or each organization, leaders probably waste time on different things. And there's one thing that I've been embracing myself recently that actually came from a a clubhouse, uh, somebody that we've both uh, connected with on clubhouse as well, is that you should only do things that only you should do. And so whether that means that you should use more automation or technology, or whether that means you should lean on another team member or an outsourced solution, it's thinking about what is it that you're doing inside of your organization that isn't what you as a leader should do? Because probably everything that you and your team is doing needs to get done. There'll be some times that you can actually do an audit of your your workflow and, and what you're giving for deliverables to clients or to to follow people in your organization that you realize, oh, I'm doing that report every week or somebody on my team is doing this report every week and nobody looks at it anymore. <laughs> uh, so there can be times like that that is the case, but more often it's that everything that you're doing and your team needs or that your team is doing does need to get done. It's how do you streamline it in a way that's embracing the technology, but still having the human element of the people that need to go into the work in order to execute these deliverables correctly. And so workflows, technology, team members, skill sets all play into this. And so where each accounting leader is wasting the most time uh, can be different depending on where you're at inside of your journey to become efficient and use technology. And so uh, it is a kind of a unique audit that you need to do on yourself to have that that step back and, and recognize, all right, where am I wasting time? And earlier this week, I was actually doing this for myself in terms of, all right, I've, I do wear all these different hats. Now at this season of my life and this season of what's going on inside of each of my my different professional endeavors, what needs what part of my time, what can I give to somebody else, and what can be paused to be dealt with next quarter. And so it's it's kind of constantly being reflective and taking that step back and looking at it. It's that philosophy of working on your first business versus in your business. We get so wrapped up in doing the day-to-day that we sometimes forget about actually taking that step back and, and changing up workflows or, or recognizing inefficiencies. And so I think that that's 
that's something that we should always be, it should be a moving target in the sense of constantly being those check-ins, whether it's quarterly or twice a year to take that step back and, and, and analyze ourselves and our teams and figure out, all right, where could we be better served doing something else or better served using technology so that we can do something else? And I think if anything, the, the one thing that I think can become consistent, especially if you embrace this philosophy, is that you just have to be careful not to go too far and start chasing the squirrels. And inside of the accounting industry, I think we can be really guilty of this because tech is changing so much. And the tech companies that we are uh, able to engage with are kind of throwing content at us, especially if you're somebody who lives online and networks online and uses the the different social media platforms, you get this content kind of thrown at you and you see, oh, a new workflow tool, oh, a new uh, tool to take my webinars and convert them into social media assets. Oh, like you can just get inundated with all these different types of technology and different apps that I think you have to be mindful of, all right, don't overdo it with your change, changing uh, and embracing different pieces of of technology to try to gain efficiencies because you get that squirrel syndrome of constantly in evolution and you don't even get to settle into the workflow and the technology and embracing it and getting gaining its full efficiencies and and leveraging it to its finest because you're constantly just chasing the next piece of technology that's shiny and new and and the fintech company has just marketed it to you really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see those two sides where maybe there's some people that are stuck in, as you're mentioning, doing the work and they don't see other ways of dealing with the inefficiencies. And then the other side where they're excited by everything. <laughs> I feel like you um, explained it really well, though, chasing the squirrels. We've definitely had clients like that, too, where they came to us and they have like a plethora of different tools and they realize they don't actually need that much because they haven't really thought about what was the problem they were trying to solve. So I feel like your advice on doing these audits, you know, pretty regularly and making sure you're actually understanding what you want to automate is such a key component. So let's talk a little bit also about the soft skills. So we talked a little bit about technology. We talked a little bit about the progressive accountant, but what are some soft skills also necessary for accountants to kind of advance in their careers and become business partners? The soft skill, I think if I, I honed in on one, the soft skill that I think is most important for accountants today is actually coming out of their introverted self and having a bit more confidence and conversation and communication skills than we've had to have in the past. Now, I won't bucket everybody to being a traditional introverted accountant, but at the same time, we all know that this industry attracts introverts. When I was in high school, which again, I'm dating myself, but you know, you take the career test of what do I want to do when I grow up and who should I be? You know, I, I followed that quiz and out pops that I'm an introvert, which was kind of a big, big sort of surprise in terms of recognizing there's actually a term for somebody who feels really drained by having too many conversations with other people. Uh, and so Firstly, that I was an introvert. And then secondly, one of the types of careers that was suggested was accounting. And so as introverts, we like to get into what it is that we're good at. And often then we're good at finances and we're good at looking at numbers and solving problems and, and really defining you know, what these different numbers mean and what implications they have and we're really good at that. And then if you go any further to a tax accountant, then obviously they have another layer of expertise on top of that. And that means that we can have historically been able to kind of sit behind our desk and get deep into our work and not have the communication skills that we might have if we were in another profession or if we were just a different, more extroverted personality. Now that said, I'm not saying change your personality. I'm not saying you got to become an extrovert, but what I am saying is that you as a human are valued and needed. And because there's so much technology that is doing a lot of the mundane day-to-day kind of the heads down work that we used to all have to do manually or our teams had to do manually, then that means that we if the technology is evolving, then we need to evolve with it as a human. And 
I just believe in human relationships and that the technology can only do so much and that where we will never be replaced is in human component to our work and the interaction and relationship we can have with clients, with stakeholders inside of our organization, with fellow team members, that's irreplaceable, which means that that skill needs to be really refined. And part of that refinement is kind of peeling back the layers and getting to know ourselves to understand how can we be that person when that's maybe not our predominant personality to be relationship driven and human driven and trying to be personal versus being more financial and professional and uh, deliverable with, with kind of our workloads. And so, you know, there's something that, that I've done over the past few years, which was really even kind of recognized where's my uniqueness and what can I do to make sure that when I communicate with somebody, I'm giving them that unique human experience that only I can give. The technology can never replace it. And so I think it's then recognizing what is that and doing some of that deeper work, kind of the, and when I said working in your business versus on your business, this is like working in yourself versus on yourself. And this is one of those personal developments of working on yourself, of peeling back the layers, understanding yourself more, knowing who am I, what, what makes me tick, what gets me up in the morning, what is my offering to other people, and how do I do that strategically? I can't be on all day. And now in, in the age of uh, remote working and being on Zoom, it's it's exhausting as an introvert to have uh, conversation after conversation after conversation and not set myself up for success, which is things like, all right, I've got this break at this time. I'm going to go decompress and do something where I'm not talking to anybody, or I'm going to go and go for a walk outside, or I'm going to go and do some deep accounting work because I still love that. and I still need to do that work. And I've carved out that time. So you set yourself up strategically for success, knowing that you need to be human inside of the relationships that you've got and give that value to the person that you're working with internal or external. And that that requires a different part of yourself than maybe you kind of thought you were being set up for inside of the accounting industry as an introverted accountant, if that's your, your persona. I love that so much. And honestly, I wouldn't be able to tell that you were an introvert, given the fact that, you know, you're so connected and you're so open to talking and learning from other people too. I've fooled a lot of people to think that I'm not an introvert. I think even some days I fool my my own family uh, around that, but definitely I am uh, an introvert. I do enjoy time to myself. I enjoy quiet, but I also enjoy human connections. But if I kind of give you a side story, I mean, when I was in the firm and talking about clients and working with clients and being introverted, this is back in the day when we still met clients face-to-face that I would pray, I used to say I was praying to the client gods that my clients wouldn't show up for the meeting because I had just been humming along that day, getting lots of work done, sitting behind my computer, got really comfortable behind my desk. And then I was like, okay, I got to do this client meeting. And it's like, I'd be really okay if they didn't show up right now. (laughs) And then, then they would. And then I would go into that meeting and, and go through the meeting, I should say, and, and come out the other side of that meeting. I was like, I can't believe I was praying to the client gods that they wouldn't show up because I realized that that actually is what I, why I was doing all that I was doing. And I was giving them something that they didn't have from anybody else, which was my financial expertise and my advisory services and keeping up to date with all of the things that were going on inside of their business from a financial perspective. And I had something really valued to them and I gave them something inside that meeting. And truly, I left the meeting going, wow, like I feel really inspired and really motivated. But then I'd have to be careful of like, okay, I can't do too many of those back to back because I'll just be exhausted and then I won't be able to do the work that I had been hired to do or that I was expected to do inside of our organization if I was just drained and exhausted and didn't manage my time correctly. Wow, that's such an amazing story. I think I can kind of relate to when I first started this podcast, I was a little bit scared to talk to people, especially when you're recorded, you know, um, you feel a little bit of a self-doubt and I guess 
you feel like you're being watched. But I think it's quite amazing how introspective you are and also how you are able to be conscious of what are your own values um, and what are your strengths too. And being able to work on yourself, as you mentioned, I feel like that's so important, especially now that we're all remote, right? We do have the time and space to really think about that instead of being at the office and constantly having to socialize. This is a good time for people to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. We've got more freedom and creativity. I mean, obviously we still have jobs to be done when we're working from home, but we're not kind of plunked into the same desk or the same office or the same space that everybody else is inside of that works for some people and doesn't work for others. You can create the space and he hopefully can try to manage your schedule a bit. I mean, I know that's tricky, but manage it as best as you can to set yourself up and your days up for success, knowing that you've got work that has to get done that is the deep work and you've got other work that has to get done that is human relationship work, even in a remote environment. Yeah, totally. And let's talk about the social side a little bit. I know you're super involved in the accounting and finance community. You know, you do your awesome, you know, facilitations on Clubhouse and you also do a lot of, you know, podcast experiences like this one. So how can accounting professionals really leverage social and also the online community to build their careers and their business? I do spend time on social. I think it's something that I, I honestly treat as an experiment. And this is probably something that I can give for advice to others is, is to treat it as an experiment and, and see how it's going to work for you. And it different platforms don't resonate for different people. Don't force yourself inside of a platform that's not a good fit. I mean, I'm on a so, one of my social media platforms that I'm really not super excited about and I don't get great engagement on that platform because I just haven't invested the same amount of time. And it's just not where my my kind of industry excitement and, and industry colleagues really kind of come together for me. But I think the one thing is on top of that would be to kind of go into the social media with two areas that social can help you or that the, the social network can help you. And depending on what your profession is inside of the account industry, this could differ. But let's say maybe you're going to use social media as a marketing platform. So meaning that you're goal of being on social media is to look for your next client. And so that's a very different initiative and approach to going onto social media more as a networking opportunity in terms of networking with other people in your industry. And they're two very different uh, reasons for going onto social and two very different types of engagement. If you are constantly looking for your next client and then you're wanting to build up your personal and your business brand as an accounting professional or as your firm and what your firm's offering is and, and where you're a subject matter expert to attract the types of clients that you are going to best serve. So that's different than if you're wanting to connect with other people from all across the globe inside of our industry and use it as a way to stay abreast of what's going on in the industry or to find some of these creative ideas to ensure that you're continuing to evolve as a progressive accountant, or maybe it's going to be the way to recruit your next team members. So it it's kind of recognizing what is it I'm trying to achieve by going into each of these different platforms, because at the end of the day, you only have so much time. And so how much time can you invest into the platforms? Which ones are going to best serve you comes down to, well, what is it you're trying to get from it? And then still go into it as an experiment. All right, I'm going to try to network with fellow industry professionals and stay on top of the technology and the evolution in the industry and be creative. Then, uh, go into it with kind of eyes wide open and totally open to whatever that creates and looks like for you and just be open to the opportunity that it presents. And maybe it will be certain platforms. Maybe it'll be certain types of connections. Maybe it'll be when you post certain types of content or share other people's content, you kind of just have to explore it and make the journey your own and see what comes back for you. And is this filling up a need or, or resolving a pain point or expanding my knowledge or my growth in some way that's going to benefit myself and or my business or my team. 
I love that. I love how you touched up on so many different types of ways to use social media. Because I feel like some people, you know, when they start using social, they expect business right away. And that kind of expectation, you know, turns them off from um, continuing to explore it, you know, kind of like what you're mentioning, making sure to treat it as an experiment rather than, oh, this is going to be the outcome for sure. I feel like managing expectations is really important and just to have fun with it. You know, I think we're at an age where now on social people are more authentic and they're really trying to build real relationships and friendships, which is really great to see. Yeah, it it can really become a platform to build new relationships and friendships. And I love that too. And I do think that depending on which platforms you spend time on, that's where the authentic side can come out. And I love seeing people's authentic self and I'm a big advocate for embracing my own authentic self and sharing that in, in, in different ways that are a bit unique inside of what would typically be shared for somebody in my role and then supporting others who are doing the same and being their cheater leader and liking and sharing and, and embracing their content too. There's one thing that I'll just even add on to that is, um, is starting with one. I'm, I'm a big fan of this in this philosophy in all areas of our lives, but start with one. So kind of figure out what is it you want and you're wanting to explore with social media and then try to hone in on which platform best serves that that need or is best going to support what you're trying to get back from social media and then start with that platform and spend some time on that platform. I just had the notification yesterday that I've been on Twitter for 11 years. And so it's um, it, it it's not an overnight thing that'll happen. You've got to make connections. You've got to engage with people. You have to kind of put yourself out there for a while before you get their returns back, which means an investment in time, which means um, recognizing what is it that I want to get from it before you start into that journey. And maybe you won't get that. Maybe you'll get something completely different, but at least start with an intention. Is it marketing? Is it networking? Is it recruiting? Is it trying to learn more about, uh, my, you know, other, other industries or what is that? And, um, maybe it's, you're looking for your next job and you're wanting to use your platforms that way. Yeah. Starting with a, uh, kind of an ambition of where I'm trying to go with this will help kick off which platform, what to share, who to connect with, et cetera. I love that philosophy. Start with one. I definitely am guilty of trying to dip my fingers into too many things. So I'll definitely take up on your advice on that. Oh, I have to take my own advice sometimes too. <laughs> As you said, we met, we met on Clubhouse, on, uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. Like, Yeah, it, it can become a lot. That said, once you get a little bit more efficient in each of them, you can start to repurpose content from different places. And there's some, some philosophies and some methodology that goes into that that helps. But um, I've met some amazing people inside of social media platforms. And I think I shared this actually last week on my social media, how quickly people that I've never met face to face have become connections that have turned into friends. And even though I know them only professionally and only virtually, uh, that they really are people that are my network of people that they have a different purpose in my life than my friends who are not in the industry, but they certainly are people that I count on and that I look to and I admire and that I network with and, and consider friends, not just industry colleagues. I love that. And you kind of see that report being built, you know, as you connect with them more, you see them liking your posts and you do the same for them and you comment and you realize you got this little tribe going on, on online, which I think is really heartwarming, especially when you're in this period where you can't really connect a lot in real life. Love hearing that. So let's end off the podcast with a few more, more personal questions. Um, and we love to talk about failure as much as successes on this podcast. So if you don't mind sharing, what has been your greatest failure and what have you learned from it? Gosh, defining just one failure. I mean, the truth is we've all had many failures and I'm, I'm not unlike anyone else in that respect. And, and often, you know, on a weekly basis, I trip myself up and go, Oh, shoot, that's not what I meant to do there. Um, but I think if I look back at, at my greatest failure, honestly, I think it would be that I didn't kind of uncover some of these things that I've shared today earlier, specifically one around 
um, carving out who I should be working with inside of our firm. So very much, you know, accountant professionals, even though I've dubbed us as introverts and uh, we, we did also get into this industry because there's some sort of underlying uh, desire or motivation to help people, which means that we often can be guilty of, and I am guilty of for sure, extending my reach too far or saying yes to people that, yes, I'll, I'll help you. I, I know I can help you. I know I can give you something back. I know I can support you. And not being able to do that in a way that is best for them and that I'm actually the best person to support them. And so when I'm thinking about my firm, I can think of times when we'd get a referral from an existing client who you're always drawn to wanting to help a referral from an existing client because the existing client has thought about us enough and thought thought about us in a in a way that they're willing to share with somebody else and say you got to start working with these guys. And so it's hard to say no to those types of leads or those referrals. But meanwhile, they would come in and they would be clients that we've never worked in that industry, or we've never dealt with uh, that sort of complexity or that sort of software or that sort of workflow or, or those sorts of payroll needs or what have you. And sometimes you can take that as a really great learning opportunity. You're like, all right, this will be my time to really get into something different and get the team exposed to something different. But that's not always the right answer, even though you just have this desire to help somebody. And so because of that, there was times inside of client relationships when I didn't and my team didn't give our best work. And when I peel that back to like, firstly, you're just mad at yourself. This is, was me. You know, I'm like, dang it, I didn't do a good job there. And the one that I'm thinking of, I know him. I knew this guy from a uh, former part of my career, we had worked together and now he had his own business and I wanted to help him. Yes, I definitely want to support you and you're doing great things. And I like what you're up to, but then I didn't, and my team didn't do good work for him. And it was because we were taking on a client that was in a completely different industry than we had ever worked in using completely different technology than we had ever worked in. And we had no desire or motivation to continue to niche in that sort of industry. So then in hindsight, I was like, that that wasn't what we should have done. We should have said, I want to help you. I'm going to help you in a way that I'm going to help you find somebody who's better ser- going to better serve you. And that's what I do love about networking inside of the accounting industry globally and, and across borders. And you meet people who this is their area of expertise. This is the type of clients that they work with. And this particular referral would have been much better served working with somebody else that I have got great connections with. But instead, I was just felt like, oh, I need to help him because he needs my help. But that wasn't the right choice. And so I think that failure is that I didn't define and then even refine exactly who I'm best serving and who my team is best serving and really focusing on doing amazing work for that type of client. Now, it doesn't have to be super niche. I'm not saying that I should have niche straight down to only one very, very small market, but I still wish that I had narrowed that and done this really great job at just the ones that I knew we could do a great job with. And we did have those. I shouldn't say that we didn't because we did. Uh, but I, I, there was others that were distracting and also that we weren't doing good work for. And that talk about energy draining and, and setting yourself up for success, that wasn't a setup for success for them or for us. And I would do that differently. And I've learned from that. And I still catch myself inside of even my current role where I don't serve clients anymore, but I work with a lot of people where I'm wanting to just say, yes, I'll help you. And yes, I'll do that too. And yes, I'll, but meanwhile, I can't do everything for everybody. And it's figuring out who am I best going to help and best give value to, or where are we going to have success together? And then if it's outside of that, to be comfortable saying, I'm not the right fit here's somebody who is, or I'm going to help you find somebody who is if I don't know somebody. 
I love that story so much. I feel like sometimes when you are especially starting out as a business owner, right? Like you're trying to appease a lot of the people you're working with because you're just starting out, but um, finding that niche and learning how to say no, that's such a powerful tool because you also become a better leader from it too. You also realize like, what are your core competencies? And I think that's such an amazing story to share for everyone just to think about, you know, what are the things that you can really add value compared to maybe helping them in a different way? Like you mentioned referrals, that's also helping them. Maybe it's just not you helping them, right? Yeah. You could find them somebody who's better able to help them, right? And saying no is really hard, especially as a business owner. You're just getting started and you're thinking, I got to pay the bills and I got to start making some money. And I, I get that that's sometimes where we start, but then I encourage you to sooner rather than later start to re- really refine what is it that your business is doing and get really good at that one thing. And I was actually listening to a podcast uh, recently that they were talking about Amazon and how if you think back to Amazon, they had a focus of just selling books and then they evolved from there. And if you think back to other life cycles of other big businesses who have done big things even if you're not not ever going to be an Amazon, you still can follow some of their business methodology, which is start really focused and get really good at that and then expand instead of the other way around of taking everything and then pulling it back down. Now, if you're already in business, you're like, oh, shoot, I am doing everything, which is the spot we found ourselves in. Like, okay, then how do you hone that in, which is refining your ideal clients or refining your ideal service offering uh, or your ideal product, whatever sort of business you're in, really refine that and narrow it down to make sure you're doing really good work or putting out really good products that are serving that need, especially today where things are so cross-border. There's the geographical boundaries have really come down and, and those walls aren't the don't exist the way they used to. And so you can serve people across the globe or across your country or across your province and uh, or across your state and do that really well, even though you're not sitting right beside them or not able to meet them face to face. Yeah, definitely. I love that so much. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you, Twyla. Um, I think we are nearing the end of the interview now. So I'll just end it off maybe with one last question which is what was your greatest success? You know, just um, contrasting that with the failure question. Well, thanks. I guess we shouldn't leave it on a failure, right? That that does make sense. Yeah. And, uh, to, be, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I, I, this is a moving target. I, I don't think I've had my biggest success yet. I've had successes along the way, but I'm not done. And so I do feel comfortable and confident that I have got more things that I'm going to pursue and that I'm going to have other successes. But along the way, I think the biggest thing that has really helped me to continue to have ongoing successes is to take the time and, and work on myself and, and do some, some professional and personal development and just really got curious about myself and understanding myself. And I'm somebody who now, when I have a failure, I don't you know, I don't sit there for very long. I do go into the, uh, that's not what I wanted. And, ah, that's frustrating. But then I can quickly go to, all right, how am I going to do it better? Or what am I, what are my takeaways to pull me into a different spot versus younger Twyla would have had a failure and been like, oh, I guess I'm not good at doing that. And I would have just let that go completely. I did this with public speaking and which is why now as, as this at this spot in my career I'm really trying to continue to grow my public speaking skills and really build up that muscle more because at a younger age I decided I'm an introvert, I got that label and then I I'm not good at public speaking. I'll be the person who supports somebody else and they can deliver the message. And instead now I realize gosh, no, I've got a voice and I've got things to share. I want to develop my communication skills so that I can be a better public speaker. So I think it's that constant curiosity, being really brave and being okay with some discomfort. And certainly running has, being a runner has helped with that discomfort of like, this doesn't feel very good, but I know I gotta, I gotta get home now. So I gotta get back somehow. So I gotta keep going. (laughs) And so it's embracing some of those 
that brave, that curiosity, that discomfort, and really recognizing what's my limit in in exploring those things, but growing along with it and treating this as a journey that doesn't have a destination, that you keep going along the way and have successes along the way, but that there's still more to uncover. There's still more to do. I love that so much, Twyla. And I think it's important to celebrate the small wins along the way too. So I hope we get to continue seeing all that you accomplish within your, you know, billion endeavors that you're a part of. (laughs) Thanks so much, Danny. (laughs) Yeah. um, Thank you so much once again for the conversation. And for those who want to connect with Twyla, I'll make sure to include her Twitter, her LinkedIn, and her clubhouse as well. She has a really awesome clubhouse room called Women in Accounting and Finance. So if you guys wanted to check that out, feel free to join. And Twilight's not just for women, right? Men can join too. Yeah. So on the Tuesdays, we do a speaker series and we actually invite men to come and be listening ears and listen to other women and share their stories in our industry. On Thursdays, though, we try to keep that a closed room because we want to create a safe space for women Mm -hmm. to just collaborate and come together, be vulnerable, support one another and have that kind of safe environment to do so. I love that. And I'll make sure to include the links here so you guys don't have to look for it. Thank you once again, Twyla, for joining me on this podcast. Thanks, Danny. It's my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com, so that's www.procurify.com, and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. 